It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. I do appreciate it. The show is made possible by patrons such as WC and Caddy and David and Mark, Lair, Krista, Sam, Paul, and Dustin. Thanks so much for becoming patrons of the program. And by doing so, by the way, they get exclusive content and uh, they get the prep sheet, they get the live streams, they get some merchandise, uh, and of course they, uh, you know, they they get the the satisfaction of knowing that they're helping to put food on my table. So I do appreciate that. And uh, also, General Equipment Rental, General Equipment Rental, family owned and operated for three generations in Weaverville. They have all of your equipment rental needs. So if you need a piece of, you know, heavy machinery, heavy equipment, maybe you're going to be doing some, you know, big project at the house, or maybe you're a general contractor and you need some equipment just for this one job. You don't want to go out and buy the equipment to have it sit around mothballed for, you know, most of the year. So just rent it, get the project done, and then bring it back to General Equipment Rental. They've got all of the tools that you need, whatever the job is, from air tools and compressors, lawn and garden equipment, to construction and earth-moving stuff, scaffolding, large power tools, basically everything. Also, they are your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. They've got the Husqvarna auto mower, which is awesome. If you did not pick up one of these for Christmas, uh, you're going to want one for spring because uh, these things just run around the yard. They roll all over the place and they cut the grass constantly. And so it's always perfectly cut. And if anybody tries to steal it, it has a GPS locator. So you're going to find uh, where it is immediately. But it also shuts down as soon as somebody takes it outside of the perimeter of the yard. Uh, plus, you can check in on it like throughout the day and see where it is. If that's, you know, if you're interested in that kind of thing, it's, uh, uh, you know, somebody's told me it's like having a pet and they just kind of walk, they watch it uh, roll around the yard. So uh, it's pretty cool. It looks like the Batmobile. It's a Roomba for the yard. I guess that would be a Yardba, I guess. Voted best equipment rental store for the second straight year in the Mountain Express Reader's Poll. Go see for yourself. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. GeneralRents.com. And think outside your toolbox. Joining me now is Congressman Dan Bishop. He is the uh, representative of North Carolina's 9th District. Welcome back to the show, Congressman. How are you today? I'm great, Pete. Happy to be in conversation with you again. Well, thank you again for taking the time to uh, to chat about this stuff. The new session, right, the new legislative session underway or congressional session underway, and uh, not exactly the beginning that I think a lot of people thought <laughs> was going to happen. Uh, so if you don't mind, can you talk at all? And I don't know, I don't want to jeopardize any investigations or anything like that, but can you... Uh, talk with us about what happened on the 6th. Well, uh, you were there. I think I heard some of right. your audio that you gave uh, in interview while this was happening, I believe, to WBT Radio. So I was curious if you could just kind of walk us through what happened that day when you, you know, you show up to work. You think it's just going to be like just right in another day, right? Yeah, well, it, it was an extraordinary day uh, in the sense that uh, the electoral count uh, had a fair amount of uh, uh tension built around it this year let's say but yeah uh, it, not completely atypical certainly not what we what we ended up having uh, no one expected that so uh it was you know for 
for me, Pete, it's, it's interesting. Um, and, and I don't, I'm not in the middle of any investigation and don't really have any particular insight. I was a rank and file member. I was in, if you, if people are familiar with the house chamber, uh, we were in there, uh, we had the, fir- the first objection to the state, uh, to the electoral slate from Arizona had been, um, um, articulated and the body, the Senate and the house had separated and the house was going through debate. And I was about four speakers away from speaking, uh, when, uh, the, the sort of all the events of the, of the day started. And, uh, I could describe this for you. Yeah. Some tale if you want to hear about Yeah, it. sure. That's uh, yeah. What was the experience like? You're sitting in there waiting to give a speech about this and we'll, we'll circle back to the, to that issue as well. The slate of electors. Right. Yeah. But so you're waiting to give your speech and what, what's the first sign that you realized something was wrong. And so just to give you the picture for those who are familiar with the house chamber from watching the state of the union address or looking at C-SPAN, if you're facing, if you're in the seating, facing the podium, uh, Republicans sit on the right, typically uh, Democrats on the left. And I was about two thirds of the way over to the right side of the Republican side of the aisle. Um, and, uh, and I will say just as a summary, it's interesting. It was obviously a very grave and significant event, very bad, uh, I think. But uh, but from inside the House chamber and for me, from the place where I was, it really never rose to a level that I felt personal fear. Uh, the first thing that happened was uh, we observed on all sides of the chamber, the doors of the chamber being locked by Capitol Police. Some, a police officer would come inside, there'd be one outside, but then you'd see them bolting them, you could hear that. And that was obviously, we were we understood what was you know, implied there. Then uh, a Capitol Police officer leader went to the clerk's podium, first announced that there had been a breach and uh, people were in the rotunda. They were attempting to contain those folks, but that uh, it might be necessary for us to get down on the floor that the seats are armored, which was news to me. Um, and, and I, you know, so that, so that information was alarming on an intellectual way, but I didn't, again, didn't feel a personal sense of fear. Uh, that same officer went back shortly thereafter and said, um, we've used tear gas. Uh, there are tear, there are gas masks in boxes under your seats. That's a standard feature also, and get them out, open them, read the instructions. Okay. And then the last one, it was a few minutes after that, they went to the thing and said, we're going to evacuate the chamber, go this way. And so, and then we went to, and, and you said earlier, I gave an interview, interview to, uh, uh, to Mark Garrison at WBT radio. And that was when we were in, in the lockdown location, which was a, a large committee room in one of the office buildings to which we had gone by tunnel in the escorted by police officers. That's, now, that's my experience. There are a couple little add-ons to that. And I think, for other, obviously, the Capitol Police bore the brunt of serious violence. Yeah. Um, and Ashley Babbitt was uh, tragically killed, you know, doing something totally inappropriate and, and, and very dangerous. They were at the end of the Speaker's lobby, right outside the House chamber. Uh, and and you know, essentially, you've seen that video threatening police officers there urging them they didn't want to hurt them. In fact, the guy who seems to have been doing that was this John Sullivan. Right. Appears to be a BLM leftist ad- agitator, uh, but in the company certainly of people who, who were, I think, uh, Trump advocates. But that was a very uh, dangerous situation. I, I just It just never got visited on me. Right. Just by contrast, when I was, uh, and you know the, all this too, a lot of national audience wouldn't, but I, I, I was more intimidated or in personal fear 
in the lame duck session of the 2016 North Carolina General Assembly in Raleigh when there were, you know, a thousand or more demonstrators out in the rotunda jumping up and down. The building felt like it was going to collapse to me. And, it, you know, that that was so just in terms of comparison, that was the perspective that I had. Is it, it was that uh, the difference you think that was due to proximity and to the to the protesters, to the demonstrators, or was it sort of normalcy bias? Maybe like uh, when you're in the you're you're in this uh, you're in the house and you're just hanging out, and then you know they're like, oh hey, heads up, there's some stuff happening, and it seems distant because you don't see it, but also because you know the brain doesn't usually kind of jump to worst case scenarios; it just wants to believe that things are normal a lot of times. I think just by virtue of the variety of experiences I've lived, uh, I probably tend not to have a sufficient alarm reaction to certain things. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I sort of have a, a, a sense of calm when those things are when things like that are happening. I, su- I suspect that my experience of having been in a legislative body when that kind of rambunctious and I think totally inappropriate. Uh, even if it's not, even if it doesn't become violent, I, I really think the, you know, the vicious kind of uh, jump up and down, the threaten to essentially come and do something by your in the way you're being present. I think that's a bad development in American advoca- advocacy, uh, even if it doesn't cross a line into violence. But uh, but I, I suspect in part just that previous experience. Uh, gave me a perspective that, you know, it was pretty unsettling. First time I was exposed to that, this was different. And, and then I, I think, you know, just the, the number of protesters, the number of people who were coming at the House chamber um, was, it, it never, ha- it didn't have the appearance of being a massive uh, attack while I remained in the chamber. Now, there were members of, of the Republican conference, Mark, Mark Wayne Mullen from Oklahoma, who's a, mixed martial arts uh, fighter and some other people who very former police officers and so forth who were who remained behind i didn't know it but remained behind to assist efforts of police officers so again i'm not trivializing at all what happened it was I, again i say it was really troubling and and horrendous a bad development for the country uh but but i was i was and i think the mass of us were personally not in a really immediate sort of personal physical threat situation. I was not, so you mentioned the seats are armored. I was not aware of that until you just told me. I was not also aware about the gas masks under the seats. Um, <laughs> did you know that before last week? I didn't. I did not. And yeah. uh, you know, there's there's uh, there's a little white button uh, on along the seats, and I have assumed without being informed. Of course, I came in. Remember, Pete. Uh, I came in in the special election in yeah. 2019, so I didn't get some of the orientation, never have had, that some members have had. So perhaps that's all they, uh, they know that. But I, uh, you do observe certain things, in, uh, like the buttons I mentioned. But the uh, but the gas mask, there's a, there's a little box under the seat, a little one that's sort of a tra- metal tray, and there's a, a box in there, and you open it up, and it's got this gas mask, and there are instructions about how to activate it. It's really sort of a hood that fits over your head. Hmm. And... Uh, I think those preparations, frankly, uh, comfort me some that that's been thought through. And there have been, uh, there has been, I, you, you know, this, of course, there was an a, attack on the Capitol. I'm going to mix them up now. I think there was a Black Panther sort of attack back in the 60s. And 
and there, if I'm not mistaken, there was sort of something before that, and there was a shot fired inside the chamber, you know, decades ago, and they'll point that out to you in the, in your tours. Uh, I'm afraid I could recapture the details, hmm. but uh, but I think those preparations make good sense, and I'm glad they're there. Yeah, somebody said it was Susan Rosenberg set off a bomb in the Senate outside the Senate chambers. Uh, I guess she, that's true also. Yeah, she um, she's now on the board of Black Lives Matter. So it's astonishing. Yeah, and so this gets to this gets to another point here. My guest yeah. is Congressman Dan Bishop from North Carolina's ninth congressional district, and we'll have more with him in a moment. First, let me tell you about Old Grouch's Military Surplus, one of the sponsors of the program. And Tim over at Old Grouch's has first aid kits. Come on into the shop and fully customize your kit for your needs. These are perfect for hikers and campers and hunters. Uh, you should always have a medical kit. When you go on your outdoor adventures. Uh, Also, if you have like an emergency preparedness supply, it is definitely part of everybody's go bag. So if you are uh, building up your supply readiness uh, or your go bag, then you need to have a, a first aid kit and he can help you put one of those together. He's got a bunch of Italian military Kevlar helmets that have just come in. Uh, also, ammo cans. These are awesome for storage, whether it's in your work truck or your garage. Uh, get, get yourself some ammo cans at Old Grouch's Military Surplus, as well as gun accessories. He's got a uh, a wide selection of slings, magazine pouches, all sorts of other stuff. Uh, so if you are one of the new gun owners of America, then uh, get on over to Old Grouch's Military Surplus. Uh, again, the shop is open Monday through Saturday on Main Street in downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. All right, so Congressman Bishop, um, I this gets to this other point of uh, the cycle of violence and this double standard that exists. Like, I'm getting to the point now where I'm almost seeing it to be pointless to note the double standard, because if you're going to condemn political violence, which you mentioned, uh, you know, before the uh, the North Carolina General Assembly was the target of this kind of mass demonstration by the left against the Republicans. And we were treated to years, literally years of these protests, but also a coverage that seemed to indicate that this was acceptable, right? To send thousands yeah. of people at a legislative building, prevent work from occurring. And let's be honest, right? The point there is to harass and intimidate, to pressure, to get what they want, because they didn't right. get it electorally at the ballot box. And if if that's going to be the standard, then th- then people really shouldn't be terribly surprised when we see the right employ the same types of tactics. And I don't know what good it is to say double standard anymore because nobody cares. It's an interesting point, Pete. You really got your finger on something. I, right now, today, I don't know if you saw it, but you know Matt Gates is an is a extraordinary speaker uh, and maybe provocateur. But, uh, but, but he – I remember his speech on the floor just the other day in, in the impeachment proceedings in which he contrasted Liz Cheney's uh, – I think unhelpful for a Republican um, talking point that President Trump had lit the flame of the events that turned into the assault on the Capitol. I reject that. Uh, I don't believe she's correct. But and she said that, and he and he said referred to the other side, and he said they lit actual flames, and was talking about all of the stuff that went beyond uh, 
the kind of mob presence at uh, or, or uh, you know aggressive protest at the Wisconsin legislature or the North Carolina legislature to which you're referring, mm-hmm. and a few years later we have this series of highly politicized uh, uh, protests in which you know, the mostly peaceful protest we say with in, in, with the sarcastic uh, r- rendition of of what was always said by by media supporting all that in which violence was was has been routinely used over a period of a year. And as you say, how can it not eventuate in some degree in the right? Although I don't believe uh, the, the mass of 800,000, maybe somebody told me, people who were in Washington that day for President Trump's speech. Obviously, this is a, a, a very small number of people who engaged in this action against the Capitol. But yeah, it, you, you, your point is, is a fascinating one. Uh, if you, it, you, it doesn't, it's almost like the hypocrisy is so present, omnipresent that, and, and ignored that there's no, there's no value in, in pointing it out. And so it leaves you sort of, where does the discourse go in order to move us to a better place? If one side can, uh, can you know, occupy an entirely different standard or have it apply a standard to itself that is the other side is, uh, it doesn't get the benefit of what do we do next? So that, I think that's a big question. Right. Well, you've got, uh, as I mentioned, uh, uh, Rose, Susan Rosenberg, but also at Bill Ayers, Bernadine Dorn, right? These are people sure. that uh, are, they're not shunned from society, right? Whereas now I'm seeing people uh, that are arguing, you know, Forbes magazine says from now on, if anybody that worked for the Trump administration goes to work for your business, we are now going to basically treat your business as a as a liar, as a lying right. entity. Right. And that's and, and that's going to be the, the hurdle you're going to have to get over. So there's a blacklisting going on of anybody that was associated with the Trump administration. Uh, and there is not a similar type of blacklisting that occurs. And so. What is the standard? Are we just supposed to accept that uh, we hold ourselves to a higher standard if we are not of the left? Because it seems to me like um, that might be, I don't know, to some degree self-handicapping. But on the other hand, if they're principles and you believe in these principles, it shouldn't matter if the left is following them, right? You know, Pete, it's, uh, it's interesting. And your example about the Forbes uh, I think he was the chief editor or something of the magazine. Yeah. And the first thing I thought when I saw that was, I wonder what Steve Forbes thinks of that. Because Steve Forbes, of course, remains chief executive and chairman of Forbes Media, the big uh, umbrella group. He's he's Forbes. That's his name that's on the magazine, Malcolm Forbes' son. And I did see subsequently an article by Steve Forbes because he's been, among other things, he was, I saw him on Newsmax in an interview uh, some months ago, also, right after the election, uh, troubled about the, uh, you know, what uh, irregularities might have occurred in the election and seeing the need to be fully vetted through lawsuits and the like. So he didn't seem to be on that radical left kind of side of the, that that his own editor was expressing, that if you've been associated with the, with the administration, you're going to be blacklisted. Uh, but his resp- he wrote a column on that or a response to that editor's statement to that effect, and it was very even-handed. I like all voices represented, and I'm not going to take any you know action against my chief, uh, my my editor. Uh, but we're going to allow all voices to be heard. 
And I think that's sort of is the same thing almost as this debate over hypocrisy. When you're debating hypocrisy, uh, you're trying to point out in a rational discourse sort of way that we all have to apply certain standards and certain common points of reference in order to function together. And I think where we are is a vindictive left with extraordinary power. It's gotten to a point they're saying the discourse is over. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it does put us in a very troubling spot because I'm an officer of the United States government. Uh, I recognize how valuable all the institutions of this country are and our freedoms is enshrined in our basic uh, organizational documents, the Constitution and the like. And I want to see that preserved against all costs. And yet, if, you, if, if discourse itself has become passe and, and you can't think even you don't get any response in terms of no one can be embarrassed on the left about their departure from standard or their abandonment of principles in the Constitution or whatever else is, you, know, you, you, you may have. Um, it does make it a very narrow path to tread to be a, a, to, to, and I want to be use the word fight carefully, but I mean to oppose and resist to be in the loyal opposition. How do you do it? And I think we've got some lessons ahead and some finding our path in very difficult circumstances. So, who do you look to to help guide you on that path? Well. And you can't say uh, me. Just I want to put that out there. You can't. You're say. the main guy, Pete. Uh, <laughs> right. You know. Well, I will be I of do, no help to you there. <laughs> I, I will tell you though that there's an, it's an interesting thing. I think about what you and I listen to your podcast, and uh, it, I do think that people kind of are. You know, you're seeing different examples uh, spring forth. So, if you look at some of the new voices in Congress, uh, Madison Cawthorn, you've talked about Madison uh, recently, and. Mm-hmm. Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, new members who are very aggressive about their advocacy. And they appeal to me because I one of the frustrations I've had over the years is with the sort of blasé, uh, you know, pedantic sort of moving along uh, Republican opposition that's content to be rolled over. And over a period of decades, the rolling over has gotten us into a really grave position. And so I'm, I, you, you know me, I've uh, done my own sort of battle, and I, and I do think that's my primary purpose, is to stand up and fight and aggressively respond and, if necessary, be persecuted in the modern moment um, in order to not let hope fail for pe- all those people who are out there uh, who were, may have been a big 75 million people across the country uh, supported President Trump, 74 uh, they they cannot be sensed that that nobody is fighting for them. That they, the, the intensity of feeling out there, I've never experienced anything like it. Uh, but so I think the answer is uh, you've got to find you got to keep reason at the forefront, and you have to fight. You have to fight on principled grounds. You must. You you, you uh, have to engage. You can't say everything's fine because it's not. Uh, but you have to be careful because you, you will find that we don't have the same room for error that the left has. More with Congressman Bishop in a minute. First, let me tell you about the big MLK Day sale going on at Mattress Man. The Split King Mattress Blowout. Free adjustable bases with the purchase of select mattresses. These are the two-piece king mattresses. So you can customize your bed completely, right? You can have uh, one side firm 
one side softer. You can have uh, one side where you can raise the head of the bed. The other side can raise the foot of the bed, uh, raise both. It's totally up to you. And so if you can't agree or can't compromise on the feel, the firmness, or the sleeping position with your better half, uh, you don't have to. Just head on over to Mattress Man any of their four locations in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville, uh, or go to their website, mattressmanstores.com, and save a bunch of money on a Split King mattress. And at the same time, maybe save your marriage? Just saying. They also have 14-inch hybrid queen mattresses for just $578. Your choice of firmness as well. They have all sorts of mattresses from inner spring to pillow top, natural latex, uh, along with the adjustable bases. Uh, We got our bed from Mattress Man. I actually just saw the receipt. I was doing some filing the other day and saw uh, saw the receipt. It's been almost 10 years ago. We bought our memory foam king-size mattress from Mattress Man. We love it. They have five-star local delivery service. They do ship nationwide, and they have a 120-day comfort guarantee. So experience the difference at Mattress Man. Go to mattressmanstores.com. Tell them Pete sent you. Buy local and sleep better. Ninth District Congressman Dan Bishop is my guest, and we're uh, talking about uh, not just what happened at the Capitol uh, on January sixth, but now also some of the uh, the reaction to it. And just like, uh, and on the one hand, I almost have to admire sort of the the way a lot of folks on the left just go right for the jugular automatically, immediately, just without even thinking. Uh, they're now wanting people, you know, brought up on charges for sedition. They want uh, people like you censured, right, um, in the Congress because you objected to the election. And I know we spoke about this a couple weeks ago, but um, not on the podcast, but in a different interview. And so I, I wanted to kind of go back over that and see maybe, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, would you have changed your approach to uh, objecting to that slate of electors? Uh, would you have not signed on as you did? Do you regret any of that? I do not, Pete. Uh, there, it remains. I'm going to tell you, uh, I, some of the more grandiose notions of how the election was stolen, uh, I'm unconvinced about. That I'm, I'm, I'm not rejecting anybody's theory, but the evidence doesn't hang together in a way that I can follow and, and uh, conclude. But but I do know because I observed it. I observed it in some detail. If you followed down in Anson County, for example, I mean, I just personally documented a widespread, continuous disregard of election law by officials there. Uh, media called me a liar for it. Big uh, state uh, media mm-hmm. uh, said I said my claims were false, and I had videotape it. It's it. So I know that dynamic is going on. I also know. Because and I laid it out in in uh, in the objection debate that Democrats, Mark Elias, the national Democrat lawyer, undertook a, a nationwide, amazing, frankly, the scale of it, campaign of litigation and litigation tricks uh, in order to undo or stymie state regulation of elections processes in all over the place. And I think the objective was to create a chaos atmosphere, and chaos led to, uh, uh, you know, chaotic results. So I know that happened. Uh, the place to express it was in uh, objecting to elections. Like nobody who was involved 
rationally believe, and I think some people do say these things, maybe even including the president, that we were going to change the outcome of the election, that Mike Pence was going to, you know, just disregard all the electoral votes enough to change the outcome. I don't think that was in the cards, but I do think it was important for a substantial uh, chunk of the of the Congress to stand up and say, we have a problem here. And uh, and I'm and whether that election was legitimate or illegitimate, I think remains an open question. Uh, our the way our system of government operates, you have to have a president. Biden's the president. Uh, I will regard him as such and work together with that. But the problems in the election should not be disregarded. And that was the place. That's the place when you have a national phenomenon, as we did. That's the place that it should be uh, raised. So you realize that just simply saying what you just said, that you have questions about whether all of the results were legitimate, that is enough to get you branded as an insurrectionist now. You realize that? Right. And 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 I and, uh, you know, the the banning or the attacks are are not just but it's it's a point you make, uh, Pete. The sheer outrageousness of what the left says makes what I just said pale. So the the um, Corey Bush, the new member of the squad, filed a, uh, a resolution of expulsion for every member who uh, joined in objections. Mm-hmm. That would be over 140 members of the opposition she would throw out of Congress. Think about that in the context of the nation's history, sweep of the nation's history. That's far more than were uh, expelled in the Civil War. Uh, and, uh, you know, so, so there's that that kind of there again is not it, whether it's hypocrisy or it's just a different orientation. The left goes to an extreme that is unbelievable. And the right has is is a is a condemned for doing something that's been done over and over before. I mean, Jim McGovern, the guy who was attacking us and 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 pushing forward on uh, impeachment and the like, uh, he was doing this just in 2017, articulating objections to an electoral slate based on Russian collusion. So uh, they do seem to be, by virtue of that orientation, that willingness to be the, is outrageous, unlimited outrage, uh, and the Republican response always to be uh, somewhat tepid. Some people on our side always expressing grave doubt about anything we're doing. Uh, you know, the the steamrolling continues. It's that's got to change. I don't want to adopt their their method. And I think there's great there can be great power in being persecuted. Uh, so you know, we'll see where we go. But the one thing I will say is, I will not give up. And that is a spirit that I think has to be uh, continually reinforced among people who are oriented to conservative thought. You are a lawyer by training. And um, and so when you say that there were some of these uh, these theories that are out there that you've not been convinced of uh, due to lack of evidence, um, I, I, I'm going to assume you're relying on your training for that assessment. So are there like. What are some examples or a, an example of some of these theories? I know like American Thinker, the website, they just had to publish uh, a full apology and retract virtually 
everything they've written on those Dominion voting machines, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, is that one of the is that what you were getting at? Or are there other theories? Well, it is in part. And let me give you a small and then I'll come back to that one. One of the things you heard a lot was in Antrim County, Wisconsin, that there were was a test of the voting machines to determine their reliability. <clears throat> and there was a an expert's report. And with great fall to all, it was the judge said, OK, it can be released in the public. I went through a lot of that affidavit mm-hmm. and I could not understand it. And so I can tell you, uh, Pete, I think part of what's gone on is uh, people are told, well, this is involves technical stuff and. We're going to throw something at you that that seems like it is plausible, and and you should be convinced by that. But, but I've been dealing with expert evidence in complex litigation forever, and I know that every uh, it, once you get focused sufficiently, virtually every matter involving expertise of any kind can be broken down and explained so that ordinary sensibilities can uh, ordinary folks can understand it. Mm-hmm. And when I read gobbledygook, it causes me to to uh, to reach conclusions about the credibility of the person who's making the claim. Uh, so, so that's a small example, and I think that was repeated over and over again. I saw a lot of statistical analyses put on on YouTube sites, and I'd watch it. And I go, that doesn't make, that's not robust. That doesn't make sense. And and then so in the big one, the Dominion voting machine, um, you know, I I think it's not uninteresting it is is to know what this is and and i can find some very reliable sources raising questions about how uh, uh, technology in in voting machines can be manipulated Mm -hmm. so i think at best what that's been is a big suggestion that everything is susceptible to manipulation and how it could be how you might see it but i don't think anybody's brought it home and you'd have to show not only that it is susceptible to, mis- to manipulation, but it was manipulated. Now, I understand some people could say, well, that's the whole problem is it doesn't leave a trace or you can't follow it after the fact. But um, I tend to believe that the big kind of conspiracies, world or global conspiracies that involve a lot of people, a lot of places, um, I, I, I think those yeah, I'm not one who believes there's sort of a secret power who operates everything that we never know about. Uh, I think the fingerprints eventually show up. I think this election may, may be after the fact. There may be some fairly shocking revelations that come out in the fullness of time. Uh, I think state legislatures where Republicans still have control are going to be important uh, vehicles to keep looking at that and to figure out what issues occurred. But I just I, I think. You know, to in Dominion, Sidney Powell, I've been impressed by her, for her to step up and say, I'm coming with the goods and I've got it all, and then just have this meandering and grandiose scheme about how Dominion voting equipment's been used by Iran and China to run our elections. I, I just, it's not persuasive. Yeah. Uh, More with Congressman Bishop in a minute. First, let me tell you about Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. I hope to be persuasive in this. If you are buying or selling a house, call the only agent 
that Christy and I called when we wanted to buy our house. That is Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. Uh, the phone number is 333-4483, area code 828-333-4483. The website is mountainhomehunt.com. She is the official and only Homes for Heroes real estate agent in Asheville. That is a national program that gives buyers and sellers 25% back from the realtor commissions. Uh, this goes to police officers, firefighters, healthcare professionals, educators, and members of the military, so veterans, active duty, and retirees. She's given back somewhere in the neighborhood of about $800,000 to folks in those professions. She has homes in all price points and she has buyers lined up. Give her a call, buying or selling, 333-4043, mountainhomehunt.com, and then start packing. My guest is Congressman Dan Bishop from North Carolina's 9th District. Uh, and so uh, uh, I want to circle back. You mentioned Donald Trump and there was, um, you know, this, uh, there is a sentiment among some Republicans, a lot of Republicans, that Donald Trump is morally or politically responsible. It might not be impeachable or uh, worthy of him being removed from office with, you know, whatever, two days left or whatever it is. Um, but he is somewhat responsible in some way. So I guess, do you do you agree that he shares some of the blame, some of the responsibility for what happened at the Capitol or not? Pete, I, I would say there's one aspect of that day and what was said about the president that troubles me greatly. And that is, and I think it, but I think it requires investigating to learn what, what happened. What were his actions in the course of the crisis at the Capitol? Hmm. And uh, did he take uh, sufficient action? Was he, you know, people say he, he didn't really do anything. I, I don't know whether he did or didn't. Um, but I think that's a, a valid question. He might not have returned telephone calls, according to Leader McCarthy. He said that publicly. Uh, I think that ought to be answered. On the other hand, if you're Donald Trump, uh, if you're going to take a firm hand to do something beyond what the mayor of D.C. and the leaders of the Capitol who provide and Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell are responsible for security decisions there. So if the president didn't, you know, sort of issue an order to the military or somebody to come in, perhaps. Uh, you, can you imagine what would have been made of that uh, if Donald Trump were sending troops or, or forces in? Uh, so I, I don't know what all happened. That's, that's a troubling aspect. But let me get back to the bigger point that I think uh, the debate has, has circled around. Um, the summoning of people to Washington that Liz Cheney has criticized, if we ever come to the point where – and, and someone's told me the number was approximately 800,000 people. That 800,000 people having supported a presidential candidate cannot come to Washington to air their grievances in a march. Um, you know, we're done for. So, and, and I believe me, I've read and listened to both every word of that speech. And, uh, and he, it's, it's uh, the, the, the parts that's most disturbing to me are the ones that suggest that Mike Pence can turn the whole thing around. Mm hmm. And, and that might be border on on uh, uh, ir reckless even. but and, and, and I can understand people could quibble over whether it's responsible of the president or not to sort of uh, be a part of that big organization when things are, are, uh, are uh, you know, fraught with people with emotion. But that's that's basic core First Amendment freedom of expression and association. And we just cannot say that that should be that, that should be condemned or abandoned certainly not as become a subject of impeachment cannot happen and and that again is, is sort of the 
trying to revert to a position of reason, be aggressive about saying so, let the chips fall where they may, and recognize, even if I don't win the debate in, in the immediacy on that point, in the course of time, if we can't hang on to basic freedoms that the Constitution's founded on and as they've been settled and understood by courts, we're in desperate trouble. So I will not cede that ground. 800,000 people coming to the Washington to petition government to, to air their grievances is, is not wrong, and it is not uh, something to be condemned, certainly not by people uh, who are on the right and, and stand up for the rights of people who are similarly disposed. Have you had a chance to speak with any Democratic colleagues about um, this you know, speech leads to violence standard that they seem to have adopted over the last week or so, uh, or, or their sentiments about, you know, blame and responsibility. Yeah, no, I haven't. Uh, other than, than speaking at them in debate as we, mm. uh, apparently all the debate gets to be them speaking at us and we speaking at them. And, and I, you know, I just, there's, some point in time, I'll run into Al Green from Texas uh, in the in the little snack bar where we eat and have a conversation with him. But there's not that the atmosphere hasn't hasn't permitted it. Uh, it is it is all condemnation and and vitriol, and and there and and the majority is is definitely moving in a direction to try to really clamp down on. I mean, as you said, the suggestions of expelling members, the suggestions of of a targeting Madison Cawthorn, Marjorie Taylor Greene, some of these people, uh, the uh, going through a metal detector now to walk onto the floor, uh, the, the threat if you do something to evade that, the first offense is a $5,000 fine, the next offense is $10,000 fine. All of this, there's a, there's, a, there's a wave of oppression, a wave of persecution coming at Republican members of Congress, and it's, it, it, there's, there's not opportunities really to sit down and chat with your uh, opponent on the other side of the aisle for the moment. What of the, I know that the left would say, well, you know, um, it's the, essentially the argument. If you're not doing anything wrong, what have you got to worry about? You know, if if you are not trying to bring like a firearm into the chamber, then you shouldn't have a problem going through the metal detectors. So how would you respond to that argument? Well, let me say this. Uh, some people get very upset about each one of these things. I'm not, I'm going to pick my battles because I don't have <laughs> time to fight them all, and I don't want to expose myself to uh, harming the representational capacity for people back in the Ninth District by virtue of getting in a snit over something small. So I'm not going to fight each one of those, but it, or, or even the one that I didn't mention yet, which is a mask. If it, I've been fully vaccinated, both uh, segments, uh, over a week ago, the last one, and uh, I'm going to and and I'm and most of the time if I'm in people's presence and makes them more comfortable, I don't mind putting on a mask. Right. But it has absolutely no purpose for for them to amp up and say if I see you anywhere in the Capitol complex without a mask, even if you're walking through a hallway where you're not anywhere close to anyone, I'm going to fine you. It, it it taken as a pattern, it is a it is a it is an oppressive kind of an intimidation regime. And so each little detail doesn't matter, and I'm not going to fight with them. Uh, but I can say that there is that, that there is not the the respect and and uh, an accord shown to the opposition that has always been a part of American politics. Uh, you certainly it's better to be in the majority. I've been in the majority in the General Assembly in North Carolina, but there's respect always accorded to the minority because 
our government doesn't uh, isn't supposed to uh, and undertake retribution against the people who are out of power. They're always present and they always get to be part of the debate. That's what makes America America. And these these uh, this attitude of oppressiveness toward not just us, but the people who stand behind us, all those 74 million people who voted for President Trump, they are, you know, despised. They really are. The, the, the left despises them and views them as something to be wiped out. Uh, and we have to stand against that. And, and that, that, that sentiment expresses itself in a variety of ways, including these measures uh, surrounding the operations in Congress. So because of just the climate we are in, you say the left despises these people, want to wipe them out. Are you talking ex- like actual murder? Are you talking rhetorically? What are you talking about? Well, I mean, just by virtue of but you listen to AOC uh, the other day, I just saw the uh, video and you've probably seen it within mm-hmm. a day or so saying that the reason there are red states in the South as they states where Republicans win is because those states need to be liberated. So, you know, I, I, I won't when I see outrageous things said about, uh, you know, throwing people out of Congress or people telling me actually some serious people writing on social media that I should be I should be uh, stripped of office, prosecuted and imprisoned for treason. I mean, it, 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 for, for having engaged in the discussion about irregularities in the election. Uh, it's insane. And and those sort of steps, you know, are have been taken. What else they would do if they could? Who knows? I, I do know that you're seeing the uh, the officials doing the things I've described, social media, uh, uh, you know, participants having those kinds of attitudes. And of course, the idea that you're seeing from social media banning parlor. I listened to your podcast and your guest about that. But, but you know, it, eliminating voices on social media who are conservative. Um, it, they, they, they certainly believe that all action is appropriate to take to, to quash expression of conservative ideas, including mainstream conservative ideas, even as their ideas get bolder and bolder and farther out on the, on the fringe on the left. So what would they do? Would they, would they put us on the trucks and send us to the camps? I don't know. Uh, that's been authoritarian instincts in history have led to that kind of activity. But but we have an extraordinarily extreme, vindictive and authoritarian instinct in operation in the left. And we have to be innovative, tough and persistent about resisting it. Is there I, I'm of the opinion that there is a, a schism right now on the right in the Republican Party, for lack of a better term, between the, quote, establishment but and this populist movement. Do you do you see it like that? Do you have any thoughts on on is there a schism at all? You know, the the left always calls it a civil war inside the Republican Party. Uh, their disagreements are never civil war. It's only on the Republican side. But I'm curious if you if you see that kind of tension. And is that a who do you see as uh, as the main actors in that tension? Yes, I do see. Uh, I, I will put it this way: I think there is. We're in a moment of sorting and reorganization. Yeah. Uh, and 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 so there are a lot of pieces to that. Just to mention a couple, I've already made reference to Madison and some of the sort of new superstars, the people who came in as extraordinarily voluble, uh, maybe upstart kind of, you know, go get them 
members of Congress. I mentioned Marjorie uh, Green in Georgia and Lauren Boebert, Colorado. Madison's a great example. Madison, it sort of has an instant superstardom, and he reaches to young people. He's had some rhetoric that might have stepped a, a step or two or too far. That's probably funny to hear it coming from me. Uh, people have accused <laughs> me of that from time to time. Um, and I think you do learn your lessons, you know, and you try to modulate the right way. That's part of the picture. And as you say, um, I, there seems to be this instinct among the established, the, the most established members of the GOP that uh, that uh, Congress, for example, uh, where we're only about eight or so votes out of out of a majority, uh, that it's almost inevitable that at the midterms, because midterms usually go badly for the party in the White House, uh, we're going to take power. I, I don't think they're necessarily reckoning with the fact that Donald Trump has brought an energy to the Republican Party and what might happen as Donald Trump steps out. Uh, there certainly also is in the Republican co- conference in the House, uh, some of the people who've been most voluble, in fact, that we'd have 12 conference calls, first five or six people to speak after lead, the leaders are always tend to be Adam Kinzinger and uh, uh, Anthony Gonzalez and some of these other people have been very critical of the overwhelming majority of us who were who did participate in, in the uh, objections to electoral slates, who uh, who have opposed uh, President Trump's impeachment. And uh, those voices are uh, they, they seem to think a lot of hearing themselves. Uh, but I think the bulk of Republicans are pretty well uh, together. I think we're going to have to answer a question about what happens with Liz Cheney and in, in leadership, and I think she needs to go. Um, but so I think there's a momentary sort of sorting process, and maybe some disorganization. I think that'll resolve as we see the Biden administration's initi- uh, uh, agenda uh, take shape, and we see more of this from Nancy Pelosi. Uh, we'll have to uh, get ourselves together. But I, I think for the moment, um, I think we've got to have just a commitment to the idea that we're going to. We're not going to flag and we're not going to fail. Too many people depend on us. And we and and those people, by the way, can't quit either. They've got to uh, we got to redouble our efforts, even if we're even even as we recognize that we're at a disadvantage in, in certain ways. So do you have any intention or desire to seek leadership in the GOP at this point? I think one of the problems that leads to some of the things I was just making reference to and I've always thought this about, you know, Pete, I, I came to Congress in a way that was sort of unexpected for me. And I'm, maybe I'm a chaos a character or whatever, because it's been constant tumult ever since <laughs> ever since I entered that that special election in 2019. And uh, and ever, and, you know, it keeps getting worse in Congress. So I hope it doesn't have anything to do with me. I, I think that one of the maybe the biggest problem in public life is ego hmm. uh, and people who uh, become. Uh, convicted of their own essential nature to things. Uh, I don't, I, I don't see it that way. I just think that the right thing to do is to uh, constantly work to develop teams and cooperation with others. And to, if you can do something to help the team step in and do it, take whatever beating comes from it, frankly, and, and then keep going, but not because I need to be stepping into leadership. So I would say, I'm just looking for, I'm beginning to have those opportunities as I am patiently awaiting them and looking for them to, uh, to step out and express something or, or take a, a role that, uh, that helps our side. I'm going to always do that and always put forth the effort, but uh, I don't have a personal ambition that, or, or a belief that I'm essential in, in leadership or in, in a particular post. I think everybody, if we can 
if we can demonstrate humility and devotion to the cause, uh, that's where we will outshine an authoritarian left. Congressman Dan Bishop from North Carolina's 9th District, thanks so much for your time today. As always, I appreciate it. I enjoyed it very much. Thanks, Pete. Now, if you want to weigh in on any of this, I will give you that information on how to do so uh, in a minute. First, Growers Hemp. North Carolina family farmers, they decided, you know what, how about we raise the hemp and we control the whole process uh, on the manufacturing side as well, what they call vertically integrated. And uh, this means they can... Uh, control the quality and the pricing in a way that they could not do when they were, uh, you know, just uh, raising the crops and giving it to somebody else to do. And so you're going to be supporting family farms in North Carolina, and they're going to be supporting you on your wellness journey with Growers Hemp Full Spectrum Hemp Extract. Okay, I take a couple of these drops before I go to bed every night. And when I fall asleep, I fall asleep more quickly now, but I also sleep more deeply than I ever have before. So add the natural alternative, Growers Hemp, full spectrum hemp extract to your daily routine, and uh, then let me know how it works for you. As with all CBD products, here's the official disclaimer GovCo requires. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and nothing I have said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. So consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. Go to growershemp.com, and if you use the promo code PETE, you will get an uh, you'll get twenty percent off. Pete, it's very easy. It's my name. Growershemp.com from North Carolina farmers to your home. Growers Hemp. It's about the hemp and not the hype. So, if you've got any thoughts on what Dan Bishop and I discussed on the program today, uh, here's how you uh, can uh, interact. You can either go to the Twitter machine. My name is at Pete Callender. Uh, you can find me on, well, I would say Parlor, but that's still down. I'm on Gab, but I'm also on MeWe and Facebook. And so if you type in my name, that's Pete, K-A-L-I-N-E-R. Uh, you can comment on the posts and uh, we'll circle back around to read some of the comments during one of the upcoming podcasts. And uh, also check out the live streams. You can do that by becoming a patron of the program. That is a wrap for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. I do appreciate it. Remember, hit subscribe. Subscribe so you get the podcast every day directly to your phone or tablet. Thanks so much for the support. Again, thanks for listening. Talk with you later and don't break anything while I'm gone.